This is Memoirs of a Recovering Nice Guy, Episode 4. Hello, my name is Drew Swenson, and I'm a recovering nice guy. Each episode, I dive into a chapter of the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, by Dr. Robert Glover. I hope to reflect on the information presented, and if you or someone you might know might be a nice guy, I hope my insights can help you along on your journey. This week, we begin a sojourn through Chapter 3, Learn to Please Yourself. Nice guys, we're always trying to people please, not to be the one at fault, not stirring the pot, so to speak. We do this because we're seeking approval. We attach our identity to the things and try to use them to convince others that we are indeed valuable because of them. Without these mechanisms, we don't know why anyone would love us for being us, being good and right just to not seem bad. It's hard to believe that anyone would like us just as we are. We're actually kicking this one off with breaking free activity number four. Let's look at a list of common attachments that nice guys latch onto. How many are relatable to you? Having good hair, having intelligence, having a non-threatening voice, appearing unselfish, being different from other guys, staying sober, being in good shape, being a great dancer, being a good lover, never getting angry, making others happy, being a good worker, having a clean car, dressing nice, being nice, respecting women, never offending anyone, and appearing to be good. These attachments are often used as a means to describe us. These may be things you do or how you look to others, but it's not what makes you, you. We define ourselves by these metrics rather than just being who we really are. We seek external validation in every situation. Case in point, relationships with women. Seeking the approval of women. As a nice guy, you might not be aware of your thoughts, or even your subconscious motivations for certain actions. One major way that nice guys seek women's approval is their availability, meaning their likelihood of having sex with a nice guy. Many nice guys see sex as the ultimate form of acceptance. If a woman's willing to engage in sexual relations, well, that means the nice guy's been deemed worthy or at the very least, acceptable. The nice guy will do anything they can to make sure the woman is happy, because if they're upset, they're deemed unacceptable. This is because nice guys are conditioned to keep their partners and or their parents happy at all costs. In some cases, nice guys will claim their mood is tied to that of their partner as well. If their partner's unhappy, they're unhappy. By seeking women's approval, it gives women the power to determine a nice guy's worth and define men. Ultimately, this ends up leading to a buildup of rage towards women. Now, this isn't me, but I think it absolutely describes incels. 
One axiom that finds its way into this situation is we tend to eventually despise whatever we make into our god. When our god fails to ex respond in expected ways, we either intensify our worship or lash out in anger. For the record, I've not lashed out in anger at any woman, especially one with whom I've been in a relationship. Okay, I take that back. I did have a co-teacher during one of my clinical observations that really seemed to have it out for me. And she ended up forcing me to redo a semester-long placement and delayed my graduation by an entire year. I didn't lash out at her, but I did have an angry yelling session that my ex witnessed. I don't think it's a coincidence that shortly thereafter, we went, quote-unquote, on a break. We actually come to breaking free activity number five. The next activity asks me to consider this, and you may as well too. If you didn't care about how people thought of you, how would you live your life differently? That's a tough one. I know my conception of how to live one's life is heavily shaded by my thoughts and influences of popular culture and what I've seen and was taught by my parents. A place to live, a car, enough money for food, keeping up with laundry, etc. Working a job, Monday to Friday. That's what I consider life, really, though if I could work in a non-traditional job that I found fulfilling and fun, that would be quite nice. I'd just spend a lot of time on creative and intellectual pursuits. There's never enough hours in the day, and I spend all my structured and disciplined hours at work, and when I come home, I just collapse into unstructured time. If I could reallocate those times, that would be my ideal. So, in a roundabout way, my answer would be living a full life of learning and creative endeavors. The second question refers to getting the approval of women. If you weren't concerned with getting the approval of women, how would your relationships with the opposite sex be different? This one is a bit easier to answer, I feel. Whether consciously or subconsciously, every woman I meet, I feel as though I run a compatibility check, where I determine if there's someone I'd want to be with. Not necessarily sexual, but relationship-wise. In 90% of cases, I don't intend on forming a relationship of that nature, but that seems to be the response. I've been called a flirt before, simply because it seems that my primary function when talking to women is flirting. Now, I don't mean that I actually hit on everyone I meet, but I end up feeling like I'd flirt versus friendship. I think that if my mind wasn't trying to gain approval, then I'd have an easier time maintaining platonic relationships with women. Cover-up artists. Because we have excessive amounts of toxic shame, nice guys are more likely to do the unhealthy thing when it comes to making a mistake. In a healthy response, one would own up to their mistake and proceed to deal with the repercussions. Instead, as seen by the author, nearly to a man, each of his patients would do the opposite. They'd rather hide the situation than deal with the consequences. And I can honestly say that's very likely what I would do as well. Nice guys. They must hide or distract from perceived shortcomings. Such as forgetting something, being late, breaking something, not understanding something, doing something incorrectly, being depressed, 
feeling pain, or even just general screw-ups. For a lot of nice guys, they're trying to hide things that are simply a part of being human. That they're sexual beings, that they're getting older, that they're losing their hair, that they have needs, that they're imperfect. Which leads directly into breaking free activity number six. Yeah, there's quite a few of these activities in chapter three. For breaking free activity six, out of the list I've just read, consider some of the previous statements and whether you have attempted to hide them or distract from these perceived flaws. Further, it asks how effective that you feel are you are in covering these things up. In general, I know I've made a lot of excuses for these things, and I'd realized I'd gotten into the habit of trying to justify all the things I was doing or perceiving to do wrong. In many cases, I was absolutely unnecessary in trying to justify these things because I'm only human, and I think in many ways that's what likely began to grate on my ex. I really tried my best to hide my emotions, not letting things spill over onto my ex. But in all the time I was focusing solely on her emotional needs and woes, I certainly had a bitter streak. When I would have an emotional moment, I felt like the bad guy for feeling it, but also feeling that her situations made it so I couldn't complain. I was blaming her for my own inability to express my emotions. Needless to say, that's not the healthiest approach. About seven years ago was the first time that I met with a counselor. I'd been experiencing anxiety attacks and feeling severe depressive symptoms. Ultimately, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety disorder. These are things that I'd been struggling with for a long time, but they had only recently been more pronounced. The symptoms would show themselves more prominently whenever I was in a situation I felt embarrassed or ashamed, and I felt would reflect poorly if my parents were to find out. I skipped classes at community college simply because I missed a single class and was too afraid to show my face to the professor. I'd sometimes arrive perfectly early and on time, but the fear of shame would cause me to suffer an attack and eventually leave the parking lot once I was late to the session. While I eventually was able to overcome that with the help of some SSRIs, and eventually I began managing on my own. I would still occasionally experience the anxiety when something went wrong when I would need to tell my parents. One instance, while working on a delivery run at my college job that I'd taken at a restaurant with my ex, who was working as a cashier and eventually night manager, I'd gone to a parking lot of a building to deliver some food. It was ridiculously cold, and I bumped my car into a fence at around two miles per hour. The sub-zero temperatures meant that my bumper was especially brittle, and it cracked. I was inconsolable. I was a 25-year-old freaking out that I'd hardly damaged my vehicle. That, to be honest, was still in my father's name. The car was still drivable, and much worse had happened to my coworkers. But no, I was the lowest of the low, the filth of the earth. At least that's what I thought, based on how I was gauging my father's reaction. As you can see, that was quite a massive overreaction, even quite embarrassing to be honest, but in that moment it felt all too real. Now I can't vouch for any other nice guys, 
whether or not they have anxiety disorders, etc. But this recovering nice guy certainly does. I was already considering splitting Chapter 3 into two parts just based on the length already, but after that venting session, I think it's safe to call it here all the same. So next week, we'll come back and continue to look at how you should worry about pleasing yourself instead of others. I'd also like to announce that this show is now hosted on Substack. So if you head on over to dematic.substack.com, that's D-M-A-T-I-Q you can subscribe to the Dematic Dispatch, a publication all about technology, education, mental health, and movies. When you subscribe, you'll get email notifications whenever I post a podcast episode or post a new article on Dematic Dispatch. You can also find me on Twitter at Dematic and on YouTube. The channel name is Dematic and on Twitch also at Dematic, where I sometimes stream Final Fantasy XIV and other niche stuff. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>